When a book is sold in a bookstore or online, the author makes around 80 cents in royalties if they are traditionally published, and between $2 and $5 a copy if they are independently published. But when they sell their book in person, it's not uncommon to make $10 a copy or more. Selling your book in person has worked for hundreds of years, and it still works today. In this episode, you're going to learn how to do it. This episode is for both indie and traditional authors who are either published or about to be. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is Novel Marketing, the longest-running book marketing podcast in the world. This is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and make a difference with writing worth talking about. So why do you make so much more money selling your book in person? Well, let's run some numbers. If we look at the price on the back of the book, the question is, where does that money go? Normally, the retailer takes between 40 and 60% of that money. The printer of the book takes between 10% and 30% of the money, and the publisher takes between 30% and 40%. The author gets between 5 and 15%. The reason indie authors make more per copy is because they get both the publisher share and the author share. When a traditionally published author sells the book directly to readers, she gets both the retailer share and her author share. And when an indie author sells a book, she gets everyone's share except for the printers. <laughs> you get all of the pieces of pie or almost all of the pieces of the pie when you sell your book independently yourself in person. So speaking of printers, I don't know a single major publisher who does their own printing. All of the ones I've ever worked with outsource their printing to a company that does nothing but printing. Book printing is a very capital intensive business and surprisingly unconnected to publishing. If you think about all the things that get printed, menus, newspapers, magazines, catalogs, posters, junk mail, etc., book printing is only a small part of that industry. So it makes sense for companies to focus on what they're good at. So when a publisher publishes your book, they're not actually turning paper into books. They're doing everything else. Now, there are two different ways to sell your book yourself. You can sell directly to readers online, or you can do it in person. And in this episode, we're going to talk about how to do it in person, the old-fashioned way, the way Mark Twain did it. If it's good enough for Mark Twain, it's good enough for me. If you want me to do an episode on how to sell directly to readers through your website, comment on this episode at our social network that you can find at authormedia.social. This is our authors-only social network where you can interact with other authors like yourself without having to use Facebook, Twitter, or any of the other corporate social networks. Anyway, selling your book yourself is not only the highest margin way to sell your book, it's also the most personal. You get to meet and talk with each reader you sell a book to. Typically, they want you to sign and personalize the book, and this makes the book more special and more valuable, and I think makes them more likely to read it and definitely more likely to hold on to it for a long time. Selling in person is also the most fun. You really feel like an author when you sign a book for someone. So here are the five steps for selling your book in person. Step one is to find a crowd. 
The primary challenge when selling your book in person is finding people to sell your book to. You need to find a crowd of people who would be interested in buying your book. Gathering the crowd is the hardest part of selling a book. And it's why the retailer's cut is the biggest cut. Now, I will say, while the retailer may take a 60% cut, sometimes they leave some of that money on the table for the reader. Right? When you see a book discounted on Amazon, they are slicing up their cut and giving some of it to you. Something being hard, though, gathering that crowd, being hard is not the same as it being impossible. So let's talk about where and how to gather a crowd of potential readers. Uh, the first place I would start is by hosting a launch party. A good launch party can be a great place to sell your book in person. Your friends and family prefer a signed copy and are happy for you to get most of the money rather than for it to go to Amazon. I had a couple hundred people come to my launch party and I spent pretty much the whole time signing and selling books. It was one of the five happiest moments of my entire life. And I really think every book deserves a launch party. And I just realized I have not done an episode on launch parties, but I will say we do talk about how to do a launch party in the book launch blueprint, uh, which is a course that we do every spring. And I may do an episode on launch parties at some point in the future. The best place to sell a book directly for most authors is at speaking events. Speaking from the stage builds your credibility. If you deliver a moving talk, your book table should get swarmed with people wanting to buy a copy of your book after your speech is over. It's not uncommon for speakers to get 5 to 15% of attendees to want to buy their book. Top speakers may do even better. I worked at the book table for an author client who spoke at a large event at a basketball arena, and he sold over the course of that weekend $30,000 worth of books and DVDs. <laughs> Not bad for a few days worth of work. Now, that was such a big turnout that he had to have help. He hired help. He flew me all the way across the country to help sell books because he had so many people swarming his book table after his speeches. But before you can earn your way to the big stage, you must first be faithful on the small stage. This means getting practice, learning how to give a good speech to a small crowd. Until you are faithful in the little things, you won't earn your way to the big things. I spent 10 years of my life studying the craft of public speaking, and I have a lot to say on this topic that I'm not going to go into here in this episode. But I will say I'm adding sessions on public speaking to my course, Obscure No More, in the near future. And what I will tell you about public speaking now is how to measure success. Measuring success with public speaking is tricky because even a bad speaker can get an audience to clap. Sometimes people clap in relief that the boring presenter has finally shut up. And people will tell presenters that they enjoyed a talk even if they didn't. It's just being polite. So how do you measure success? I'll tell you how the professional speakers do it. They measure it with laughter. The great speakers can make the audience laugh or cry, and the best can do both. And the more you move the audience emotionally, the more they will want to buy your book when you finish speaking. As the old joke goes, do you need to make people laugh to be a public speaker? No, only if you want to get paid. So I do have some episodes on public speaking that you can listen to. I'll have links to them in the show notes at authormedia.com slash 295. 
Uh, those episodes are how to get your first speaking gigs, how to sell a ton more books with public speaking, and public speaking for the introverted writer with Joanna Penn. There's a reason why public speaking is such a popular tactic, and it's because it's so easy to sell your book at full price in the back of the room after giving a good speech. The key, though, is giving that good speech. <laughs> so another place for you to sell your book or to find a crowd to sell your book to is homeschool conventions. Homeschool conventions are special because they're one of the few book fairs that still exist that attract hordes of people who come to them with the sole intention of spending money at the book fair. It's not uncommon for homeschool moms to bring several hundred dollars of cash with the full intention of spending it all on books. I know authors who can sell ten dollars to $20,000 worth of books at a single homeschool convention. And if you want to sell your book to homeschoolers, I have some episodes to help you with that. Uh, three, to be precise, I have our very popular How to Market Books to Homeschool Families with Trisha Goyer, A Christian Author's Guide to the Homeschool Market, and finally, What Authors Must Know About Homeschoolers Before Trying to Sell Them Books. This is the episode that explains how homeschoolers work, how they tick, what they want, etc. And you can find links to those three episodes at authormedia.com forward slash 295 for episode 295. We're only five episodes away from episode 300, if you can imagine it. So uh, feel free to send me ideas what you think we should do for episode 300. Another place to find a crowd to sell your book to is fan cons. What started out as Star Trek conventions and comic book conventions back in the day has morphed into a whole movement of nerd events around the country. This includes board game conventions, anime conventions, even video game events. If you write speculative fiction, your books may fit right in at a convention like this. Now, I'll warn you, booths at these fan cons can be expensive, especially if you have just one book to sell. But if you team up with similar authors, you can split the cost of the booth. Plus, you can wear a costume and fit right in. So if that's your cup of tea, you really should check out a fan con and see about selling your book directly to fans. Another way to find a crowd is by calling companies and organizations. I talked with an author once who sold 10,000 paper copies of his book every year to corporations and large nonprofits. 10,000 copies. That is between twenty dollars and $100,000 worth of sales, depending on his pricing. So how did he do it? He cold called HR directors on the phone and talked to them about including one of his books in their Christmas gift to employees. That's it. That's the whole strategy. HR directors typically have a limited budget for Christmas gifts, and books make a great and expensive addition to the employee gift basket. Many companies follow the something they want, something they need, something to wear, and something to read model for gifts. And one phone call to the right HR person could result in 500 sales. So you could be that something to read. Uh, The authors that make a fortune with this tactic tend to stay very quiet about it because it tends to be zero-sum. When a company picks a book, they typically only pick one book for that Christmas. But I think this is very limited thinking because there are millions of companies out there, not to mention NGOs, churches, and nonprofits, most of which give gifts for Christmas. (laughs) So why not use your book as that gift? And I will say most of these organizations don't get contacted by anyone about what to put in the employee gift basket. 
If you're willing to smile and dial, this could be a tactic that works for you. <laughs> this is one of those tactics that only a few authors have the guts to try. And if it scares you to cold call HR people at companies, don't worry. You don't have to use this tactic. There are many other paths that you can take to sell books. Another place where you can find a crowd is at makers fairs or craft fairs. The first time I ever met an author in real life was when my church hosted a craft fair. John Bybee, author of the Magic Bicycle series, was there selling books in person. My parents bought a copy of every book he wrote, and we read them together as a family. From that moment on, I had met a real author. We even had an autographed copy. This was a big deal for an elementary school kid. Remember, while being an author may not be a big deal to you, it's still a big deal to a lot of people, especially to children who may have never met a real-life author before. Interestingly, I hosted my launch party in that exact same room at that exact same church 20 years later, and I remember John Bobby coming by and purchasing a copy of my book. That was really special, to sell a copy of my book to one of my heroes. And it was way more meaningful to both of us, him buying it in person, rather than him just picking up a copy on Amazon. Sometimes for a few bucks, you can get a booth at a maker's or craft fair. And who knows, the booth could even be free if it's a church-hosted maker fair. Uh, these fairs work best for authors whose books are a good fit for that market. If you've never been to a craft fair, this is probably not your people. But if you're well plugged into this community and you feel like your book could fit or would be the kind of thing they would like, this could be a huge win. And like with fan cons, you can always team up with other authors to split the cost and the work of manning the booth. Okay, so we've now identified the crowd. We've identified where we're going to find people in real life to sell books to. So now it's time for step two, order copies of your book. And remember, the more of a rush you're in, the more the books will cost. So you want to order them way ahead of when you need them, especially right now because there are shortages and delays all over the economy. If you're traditionally published, you typically get 20 to 100 free copies of your book to give away or sell. And you can purchase additional copies from your publisher at a discounted author price that's stipulated in your contract. If you plan on doing a lot of public speaking or to go on a fan contour, if this is a tactic that you really want to employ, make sure to let your literary agent know so that she can fight for a bigger discount of your book. This is one of those parts of the contract that is totally negotiable, but it's only negotiable before you sign. Usually, with your author discount, your book will cost you between $3 and $6 a copy to buy from your publisher. And I will say one sign of a predatory publisher is a very high author price. So make sure you read your contract and ask a lot of questions before signing anything. If you're independently published, most indie authors print their books on demand. This means your books cost the same regardless of how many copies you order. For instance, my book, which is printed through Amazon KDP Print, costs me $3.47 per copy regardless of how many copies I order. Now, once I add taxes and shipping, the price goes up to about $4.63 a copy. And I will say there is a discount on the shipping for bigger orders. So the price per copy does drop a little bit when I order a lot of copies from the shipping price, but not enough to make me want to stock up. And now when I speak, I sell my book for $15 in person. 
And I find that after a speaking event, if I've done a good job, people will often pay with a $20 bill and ask me to keep the change. Uh, this means that I make between $10.37 a copy and $15.37 a copy. Not bad. Not bad at all. Now, there is another way, if you're independently published, uh, to print your book, and it's called offset printing. If you've had a strong Kickstarter campaign or if you've had a successful previous book, you may want to consider offset printing. For authors on the homeschool convention circuit, this is the most common technique because they sell so many copies at those events. Offset printing becomes cheaper per copy than print-on-demand between 500 and 1,500 copies, depending on the number of pages and various other factors about your book. But once you get into the thousands of copies, it can dramatically pull down the price per copy of your book. And there are likely printers in your city that can offset print books for you. Now, they tend to be located near your main post office. So the biggest primary post office in your town tends to have a bunch of printing companies circling it that make all the junk mail that you receive. All the catalogs come from those companies, and those companies can very easily print books with their offset machines. Offset printing requires a lot of money up front, typically between five dollars and $15,000, uh, depending on how many copies you're ordering. And then you have to add the expense of storing those copies. You have to find a place to put 1,000 books or 1,500 books or 5,000 books. That's a lot of space. And you have to think about that ahead of time. This method works best if, like I said, if you had a Kickstarter campaign, you know, if you brought in $10,000 ahead of time from your Kickstarter campaign, you've already sold hundreds of copies that you need to ship out. Offset printing may make sense. Uh, it also could be a good idea if you've been booked on a big stage. So back when I was a literary agent, I had a client who'd been booked to speak in front of 30,000 people like four or five times over a weekend. He was a major speaker at a major, major conference. And even if only 5% of his audience went on to buy his book, that would still be 1,500 copies from just one event. That is plenty for an offset print run, not to mention all of the other speaking that he was doing. But be careful. This is one of the classic indie blunders, is to order too many copies of your book and a flurry of optimism. Don't order 1,500 copies of your book hoping you will get on the big stage. Only order 1,500 copies offset printed after you've been contracted for that big stage. If this is your first book, don't get it offset printed. I'm just going to say that. If this is your first time, don't do it offset. There's so many things that can go wrong. If there's an error or a mistake, you now have 1,500 copies of that error or mistake. I have, I don't think, ever seen a first-time author who went with offset printing who was happy <laughs> at the end. Almost always they end up with a garage full of books. Uh, you have just no idea how well your first book is going to sell. And most authors' first books don't sell as well as they expect. This is especially true if they're not following the Ten Commandments of Book Marketing. And I'll have a link to the episode on the Ten Commandments of Book Marketing. Uh, so my advice is to go print-on-demand at first. Be faithful with the little things. Learn how to sell 100 books in person before trying to sell 1,000 books in person. Don't waste your marketing budget on books that will sit in your garage forever. You need that money to make more money. Okay, now it's time for step three. Set the table. You've got your crowd and you have your books to sell them. 
Now it's time to present those books in such a way where they can't help but give you their money. How you set the table matters after giving a speech, and it matters a lot at a convention or fair. You've got to draw people's attention from that aisle so they'll come to your table. So here are some tips for setting the table. Uh, the first, and this is the most important by far, and that is to create bundles of your books. So obviously, if you have a trilogy and you're selling each individual book for $15, consider selling a bundle of all three books of the trilogy for $30 or $35. Right? Give a, a discount for buying the whole trilogy. And you can you know, set up a pretty display of what those books will look like. So maybe fan them out or perhaps put them in a basket with some stuff in it and a big sign that has the price and how much money they will save. How you present it really makes it appealing. So what do you do if you only have one book? You can still create bundles and perhaps bundle in some related products made by other artisans, right? You could, you know, if you write romance, perhaps you can include a handmade candle and a bath bomb with your cozy romance book and you put it together into a spa night bundle, right? This is the bundle to have a relaxing night in the bath reading this cozy romance or this cozy mystery. Now, I'll say you may be tempted to include a bottle of wine, but uh, be careful. Check your local laws. You may need a liquor license to sell alcohol, which would make it prohibitively expensive. When I worked with that author that I was talking earlier who sold the $30,000 worth of books in one weekend, I would say probably 80% of his sales came from either his $35 bundle or his $125 bundle. And the bundles included his books and DVDs of his speeches. He had DVD recordings of his speeches and he would bundle those in with the books that went along with the topics. Very few people bought just one book for 20 bucks. Almost everybody bought one of those bundles because they felt and were very valuable and it caused him to sell a lot more money. If you are teaming up with other authors at your fan con, put together a bundle of all of your books, right? The more things you can bundle, the better, but I only recommend having two or three total bundles on the table. You don't want to overwhelm people with decisions. And you want one of those bundles to be the obvious best deal. So people can just make that no-brainer choice and pick up that $35 bundle. The next thing you want to do is grab people's attention with booth decorations. One classic booth decoration strategy is to get a tablecloth or booth runner for your book that's got your book covers or some other kind of draw to draw people in. But I will say there's a lot of ways to decorate your booth, including signs, spinners, and a whole lot more. So if you plan to do a lot of in-person selling, if you plan to have a lot of booths at conferences or fan cons, investing in some solid booth decorations can be well worth the money. So what kind of decorations should you get? Well, here's my advice. At the next convention you go to, keep an eye out and watch what the other vendors are doing. Take photos of the booths that you think are the best decorated for ideas and you can even go and talk to them in my experience people at booths are really happy to tell you how they decorated the booth even where they bought the things i was at a homeschool convention with an author and we went to the booth next door and we were like i really like these signs that you had they had these long skinny signs that collapsed really small and these really great bookshelves that collapsed really small and we're like where did you get these these are great and she's like oh i got them from such and such company and they're a great deal i highly recommend it so feel free to get ideas from the other vendors because it's important that your booth kind of fits with the vibe of the convention that you're targeting, right? The kind of uh, booth decorations that would work for a homeschool convention may not work for an anime convention. Unless you're realm makers, then maybe they will. So 
My next tip is to buy or sell a conversation starter. A common technique for fantasy authors selling at homeschool conventions is to put a sword or shield or a helmet or something similar on the table. The armor not only draws the eye to the booth, but it starts a conversation that can lead to a book sale. Uh, one author he met was wearing full chainmail at his booth, and he sold fantasy books and assemble at home wooden trebuchets. Talk about somebody who knew how to appeal to teenage boys. I'm not a homeschool teenage boy anymore, and I wanted to buy a trebuchet to launch water balloons. The trebuchets were expensive, right? Solid wood, and they cost a lot of money. And by comparison, they made the $15 books seem like a bargain. What great anchoring. What a great way to use marketing psychology. But it's not just for fantasy authors, right? If you write mysteries, perhaps put a plastic skull on the table. Uh, The more creative your conversation starter the more conversations you can start. And finally, my advice when it comes to gathering attention is to maintain the crowd around your booth. No one wants to walk up to a book table with an author twiddling his thumbs. This is awkward and intimidating for readers. The best way to make your book table approachable is to already have people at the table talking to the author. A crowd draws a crowd, so don't be in a rush to talk to people. Right? Keep that conversation going. Ask them lots of questions. Keep them talking. Remember, they're here. They want to talk to you. They don't want you rushing them off. Not only will this help you get to know your readers better and build better relationship and stronger connection with your readers, it will also help you sell more books. <laughs> Having that crowd is really valuable. People don't mind waiting five minutes, sometimes 10 minutes. If it's a fan con, maybe an hour <laughs> to meet an author that they want to talk to. People really do want to do what they see other people doing. In a rational world, we would go to the booth that's empty. We'd ride at the amusement fair that has no line. But in reality, we assume that the ride with the longest line is the best ride. The book with the most reviews must be the best book, right? This is how humans think. You can't change it, but you can work with it. All right, so now it's time for step four, collect the money. You're on your way. You've got people coming to your table. They want to buy books. In the olden days, they would hand you cash and you would hand them a book in exchange. But in this pandemic world we live in, people are hesitant to touch money that other people have also touched. It's not that I don't trust you. It's that I don't trust the person who gave you that money in the first place. The trend away from paper currency has accelerated. Some authors only want to take cash because they don't want to pay credit card fees. These authors are bad at math and don't realize that 95% of a watermelon is more than 100% of a grape. Yes, there's a transaction fee to accept credit cards, but you typically only need to sell one or two extra books to cover all of the transaction fees for the day. And better to pay a 3 or 4% transaction fee on a $15 purchase than for them to go to Amazon, who will take 70%. (laughs) So I don't understand authors who are like, oh, I don't want to pay a transaction fee of 3% or 4%, and yet are happy when Amazon takes 70% or 60% or 40% or whatever that's 10 times, 20 times higher. So with that out of the way, sorry, I'm ranting a little bit. Uh, Let's talk about cashless ways readers can pay you. So the first is Venmo. If you buy something on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist, the current go-to way to pay is with Venmo. 
Venmo allows for you to send money and receive money, and sometimes without even charging a fee. But sometimes they do charge a fee. It, it's a little complicated. You can go to the website as to when fees are collected when they're not collected. Venmo allows you to print a QR code, and you can put the QR code right there on your booth. People can scan it with their app and send you money. It's really easy. It's all on the mobile phone. And a lot of people are using Venmo these days to send money, especially younger people, right? Three or four friends at the restaurant and they want to split the check, they can split it themselves using Venmo. My one recommendation with Venmo is not to leave a lot of money in your Venmo wallet. Of all of these platforms, Venmo is the most like real cash and the least like a bank. If someone steals your money out of your Venmo wallet, it's just as gone as if they had stolen that money out of your actual wallet. So don't leave hundreds and hundreds of dollars in your Venmo wallet. The next popular way is Square. In fact, I would probably say this is the most common way with authors selling in person. Why? It's because you don't need a fancy terminal. You know, you don't get one of those little crunchy things. You don't have to spend a lot of money on equipment. All you need is a smartphone and a card reader. In fact, as I record this, they'll even send you a basic card reader for free. You sign up for Venmo, they send you a card reader in the mail. Now, if you want to take the chips or to have the fancy wave, uh, you know, where they just, the contactless payment, that costs, I want to say, $50 one time for the terminal. But there's no monthly fee and there's not a lot of cost to Square. And their transaction fees are very reasonable and very competitive. Speaking of competition, Square's closest competition is PayPal. (laughs) PayPal also has a smart card reader and they directly compete with Square. I haven't tried PayPal. Square's what I use to take credit cards in person. But if you're already a big PayPal user, then using PayPal might be easier, right? All you have to do is request the little terminal. And I don't remember if PayPal charges you or not, but if they do, it's, you know, 10, 20 bucks, maybe 35 on the high end. Their terminal's not very expensive and they have really similar pricing to Square. Uh, Personally, I prefer Square as a consumer since that's what most of the coffee shops that I go to use and I like how they email me a receipt Uh, But that's just personal preference, right? Uh, Use whatever works best for you. Now, the final way some authors take credit cards is through their website. They'll have a laptop there on the table that's connected to the internet, and they'll have people type in all their information and go through the checkout process on their laptop. This is the most hassle for readers, and I would only recommend it if you already have an e-commerce website set up and you're already using it to collect taxes, and you just want everything in in one system. But for most authors, I wouldn't recommend it. But speaking of taxes, that leads us to step five, collect sales taxes. So this next section only applies in the United States and really only to certain parts of the state. And I also should say I'm not a CPA, so make sure to consult your local laws to figure out what your sales tax obligation should be. Now, let me say up front, you may not need to collect sales taxes. Depending on where you are, you may be eligible for your state's garage sale exemption. I know we have one in Texas, I think most states do, where if you're only selling a few hundred dollars worth of stuff, the state doesn't want to deal with the paperwork on that, right? Taking 8% of $50 isn't worth the mail back and forth. (laughs) And uh, there's no blood in that turnip, so to speak. So if you're you know, only doing a launch party or you're only speaking a handful of times a year, you may not need to worry about sales taxes. But 
check your local laws. <laughs> Just because you might not doesn't mean that you don't. Now, it may be that you do. Maybe you're on the circuit and you're speaking a lot and you're selling a lot of books or maybe you're on the going to lots of conventions and you're selling lots of books and you do need to collect sales taxes from your readers. The plus side of that is that if you're collecting sales tax, it means you don't have to also pay sales tax when buying copies of your book from the printer. And not paying sales tax when buying your book can increase your margins by whatever the sales tax rate is in your state. In Texas, this means that the books would cost me 8.25% less per copy. And that may not sound like a lot, but that is half the royalty most traditional authors make just in collecting sales tax. Also, in some states, uh, you get a small kickback from the state as a thank you for filing your sales taxes correctly and on time. So collecting sales taxes can increase your bottom line, both on the buying and selling side, which is important because, dun, 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 bookkeeping. (laughs) Collecting sales taxes requires a more sophisticated bookkeeping process. And bookkeeping costs time and money. You have to accurately track your sales in order to fill out your sales tax return. You're also going to have to file for a sales tax permit, get a sales tax number, uh, and depending on how many sales you have, you have to file that sales tax return either quarterly or monthly or annually. Again, local laws vary, and this can get really varied based off of where you are. Uh, My purpose of talking about sales tax here is to help you ask better questions, not to give you the answers. So uh, where do you find answers for your sales tax questions? Well, you actually may be able to get them for free from your local sales taxing authority. So while the IRS has a terrible reputation for customer service, right, it's nearly impossible to get someone from the IRS on the phone. And when you do, they often give wrong answers, right? You don't want to talk to the IRS if you can talk to anybody else. But at least in Texas, the Texas comptroller has the opposite reputation. They have a really helpful website and a reputation for giving helpful and accurate answers on the phone competently and politely. In fact, they even have local offices where you can go in and get help. In fact, the first time I ever filled out a sales tax return, I was 22 years old or maybe 21 years old. I think I was still in college and I had no idea what I was doing. So I went to my local comptroller's office, sat down with the man who helped me fill out the form correctly, showed me what I was doing wrong, and even waived the penalty that I was supposed to pay for doing it wrong and turning it in late. I was like, wow, this is really nice customer service. (laughs) Is this really a government And while I'm tempted to say, oh, this is because Texas is a special place, and, you know, it is, (laughs) but I suspect most other state governments are equally as helpful. But your mileage may vary. (laughs) Not all states are friendly uh, to small businesses. And I will say there are uh, private companies like TaxJar that will handle the sales tax paperwork for you. They start around $20 a month, which might make sense if you're doing a lot of sales tax in person. And TaxJar can also connect to your website and help you with sales taxes there. Now, I should say, if this is stressing you out, hand-selling your book to people in person is a low-obligation tactic. And while I know authors who make hundreds of thousands of dollars selling almost all of their books in person, I also know authors who are very successful who have sold zero books in person ever in their careers. Right. So this is a tactic that you can go all in on, It's also a tactic you can completely ignore. There are other ways to sell your book. And if you want Amazon selling all of your books, that's totally okay. 
But for most authors, selling in person is a great way to supplement their income and connect with their super fans. And I think it's worth giving a try. Our sponsor today is the Tax and Business Guide for Authors. This is our course to help you with the business side of writing. Uh, Now, when I say tax guide, our focus in this course is not on sales taxes. It's on income taxes and which uh, tax deductions you may be able to take advantage of. This is a course I put together with my dad, who's been a CPA working with authors for over 35 years. We also talk about how to create and form an LLC and all of the tax and business stuff. It's a really great course, and you can find out more about this course at authortaxtips.com. And I should say, if you're a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast, this is one of those courses that you save 50% off the price of the course. So I try to give patrons of the show really big discounts when I can on my courses, and this is one of those courses. It totally is worth it to sign up as a patron. It's only $3 a month. You get the 50% discount. It pays for itself immediately. (laughs) So speaking of patrons, our featured patron today is Shalene Weaver, author of Lovebird, book one in the Fruit Fables series of children's books. Lovebird, the squirrel, has a new neighbor who is rude and mean. They devise a plan of action to restore peace to the backyard and learn that love is more than a fuzzy feeling. Shalene Weaver, thank you for being a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast. I really appreciate your support keeping the show on the air. And Shalene and the other patrons don't just get discounts on courses. They also get an exclusive bonus episode every month. This month's patrons-only episode talked about launch teams versus ARC teams, the best way to print hardcover copies of your book, public speaking, what to do if your book falls between genres, and more. And you can become a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast at authormedia.com slash patron. And if you can't afford to become a patron, but you still want to support the show, if you still find the show valuable, just share this episode with one writer who you think would find it helpful. You can help them, and you can help me a little bit as well. In some personal news, I got to feel Baby 3 kick. This was... There's something magical about feeling a tiny human moving around inside of its mother. This is my third child, and it still blows my mind (laughs) feeling this little one uh, swimming around uh, inside the swimming pool, uh, so to speak. And it's also fun to see how excited uh, my other children are about having a new baby brother or sister. Our two-year-old Mercy plans to call the new baby Zuzu if it's a girl and Nene if it's a boy. Uh, much to the chagrin of my wife. <laughs> she didn't like Nene when she called uh, our, her little brother Nene. <laughs> That's her go-to uh, little brother name, I guess. Uh, she's nothing if uh, not consistent. So, yes, uh, come December, we are going to have three babies, three and under. Uh, in related news, come December, I will be taking a break from this show. <laughs> so, But don't worry, I'll come back. Please don't unsubscribe. I'm giving you a heads up way ahead of time. Uh, I'm going to need to help chase some toddlers uh, while my wife is busy with a newborn. So I'm not exactly sure when the baby's going to get here. So when we take the break is a little bit up in the air. Uh, That's why I'm telling you now. Uh, But we'll have episode 300 before them. So do let me know if you have any cool ideas of what to do for episode 300. And it's still crazy. We're closing in on 300 episodes of the Novel Marketing Podcast, which is a production of Author Media. This episode's audio was edited by William Umstadt. The blog post is by Shauna Lettler, and I am Thomas Umstadt Jr., your host. 
To find the blog version of this episode, visit authormedia.com slash 295. Thank you for listening and live long and prosper.